Uh, so for, uh, for work, I travel about four or five times a year. And typically for those trips, I take a plane. It's my habit that I enter the plane and I look to the left into the cockpit to see the pilots. And two things go through my head. One, is this the first time you've ever flown a plane? And two, if it is, do I want you to tell me that? So preaching a sermon is not like flying a plane. Uh, I think being a pilot takes a lot more training. A couple years of seminary is different than pilot school. However, let me remove some of the mystery. Yes, this is my first sermon. So hopefully, yeah, you know, we should pray. Let's pray. Father, uh, if this is um, valuable at all, uh, may the glory go to you. If it's terrible, help people to be very gracious. Amen. Can you think of a time you didn't know how to pray? Where you tried to form the words or the thoughts in your head and nothing came out or nothing came, came into your head? I can think of four times for me when I didn't know how to pray. The first and second time had to do with a loved one in my family being diagnosed with cancer. My father was diagnosed with colon cancer when I was 12. My brother was diagnosed with brain cancer when he was 30, 29. Uh, I remember not knowing quite how to pray before the cancer took my dad's life and then after he passed away. And I, especially because of that first instance, didn't know how to pray when my brother was diagnosed with cancer. My brother is is healthy now. He's been cancer-free for a number of years. I didn't know how to pray. Sure, God healed them, but, but what else? What more? The third time I remember not knowing how to pray, this is much lighter, was when I was coaching basketball, and my, the team I was coaching was in the championship, conference championship game. We were up two with three seconds to go. I actually have a video of that. If we can cue the video. So, caveat, I don't begin to understand the... Okay, here we go. I was coaching a team in the white, so it ended well for us. This is not a comment on the theology of sports. I just felt like I needed to pray in that moment, so I prayed a lot. So that was the third time. The fourth time was in the moments leading up to when I asked Sarah to be my wife. I remember as I was dropping to one knee, thinking, oh my gosh, this is happening. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I felt like I should pray, but didn't know what to say. Maybe, you had, maybe you've experienced circumstances similar to these. Maybe it's when you hear about car bombings in Iraq, uh, terrorist attacks in airports. Maybe it's when you're putting your um, son or daughter to bed at night. Maybe it's when you read, hear about shootings in Orlando, St. Paul, Baton Rouge, or Dallas. How do we pray when these things happen? My goal over the next 15, 20 minutes is to talk about the how of prayer. Not why we should pray or what prayer does. Those are huge topics, way too big for the scope of this morning. So today I want to talk about how we should pray. To do this, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. So if you have your Bible or your phone, we're going to be spending some time in in Matthew 6. We'll be jumping around a little bit, but Matthew 6 is the primary place we'll be. 
And we're gonna, again, we're going to focus on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, instead, of having, instead of me reading it or having someone else read it, I want to show a second video of a group of young men who have memorized this scripture and are repeating it as a group. So if we want to cue that video. Boys, my heart is full. My heart's full. Ivory. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Nothing like prayer to get you fired up to play some football. That's uh, taken from the movie Friday Night Lights. Uh, there's a book written by, uh, written, same title, but it was a movie made based on the book. So let me tell you exactly what I'm hoping to do in the next 15 minutes or so. I want to use the Lord's Prayer to help teach us how to pray, specifically um, to provide us with an outline or a format or a style by which we pray. I think Jesus is offering this to us. I think we should use it. Uh, A couple things just to note right off the bat. I don't think the Lord's Prayer is something that we're supposed to say verbatim or repeat word for word. How do we know this? Well, when Jesus prays, he doesn't pray the Lord's Prayer. Except for this one instance. So if you look at passages, John 17 is the high priestly prayer. This is where Jesus is praying for his followers. He doesn't say the words in the Lord's Prayer. So I think we can reasonably deduce that he is presenting us with some sort of format. Again, format, style, guidelines by how we pray, but not the specific words to use. Okay. So Jesus, like any good pastor, is going to present us with three points. And they're going to be alliterative. They're all going to start with P. Like Jesus was Baptist or something. That was a joke. Okay, um, so the three P's are praise, priorities, and petitioning. Those are your three, pray, uh, three points, your three P's that are going to outline how we are to pray. Praise, priorities, and petitioning. We'll look at each one of these as we, as we look at the Lord's Prayer. And then after each point, I'll try to give some practicals for how this can impact how we are to pray. Sound good? All right, let's talk a little bit about context. So we're in Matthew 6. The the chapters leading up to Matthew 6 are the Sermon on the Mount. So this is kind of like Jesus' greatest hits. These are things like the Beatitudes, passages about salt and light, uh, passages about Christ and the law. Did he come to abolish it or to fulfill it? What's great about the Sermon on the Mount is he's essentially summarizing the aim of the Christian life. These are the things that you should be about. These are the things that you should do. Logically, then, prayer is a part of this. Let's look specifically at Matthew 6, 5, as we start kind of getting into this, into this prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So isn't it fascinating that Jesus, when we're talking about prayer, he starts with what you should not do? It's just interesting. 
we're going to talk a little more detail about the things you are not to do when you pray. But for a second, I want to pause and, and spend a little bit of time on that word, you. So when Jesus says, you, who is he addressing? Well, if we turn back a couple chapters, you can, you can turn there or you can just kind of follow along with me. Um, if we turn back a couple chapters in, in chapter 4 of Matthew, it talks about Jesus going around the region and healing people and preaching. Essentially, he's becoming famous. People are following him to see what's he, what is he going to do next? What is the next thing Jesus is going to do? Who's the next person they're going to heal? Hey, maybe he'll heal my, my illness, my sickness, my disease. Maybe he'll give us some teaching that just will blow my mind, right? So Jesus is becoming famous, essentially. So when we say that Jesus was, you know, the Sermon on the Mount is taking place and the crowds are coming to him, we can assume that, one, it's probably a lot of people, right? If, he's, if people are traveling just to see him hear him speak and see what he might do. The second thing we can deduce or we can assume, I think within good reason, is that this is a diverse group. So it's a big group and it's a diverse group. Galilee, according to some research I did, had about 300,000 people. That's like the size of Cincinnati or Pittsburgh, a big city. So if someone is traveling throughout Pittsburgh, is making a name for himself, a crowd forms to hear this person speak, it's probably going to be a pretty diverse group. Religious people, non-religious people, different ethnic backgrounds. It's going to be people from all, all different stripes. So Jesus is talking to, in this particular passage, Jesus is talking to religious people, non-religious people, Jews, Gentiles, everybody. I think we can assume that. If not, Lord, correct everyone's hearts. The second thing I want to point out is it says, um, oh gosh, Anita is so good with the verses. It's like magic. Like I'm saying something, I turn around and the verse is there. The second thing, if we jump back to Matthew 6, 5, is he uses the phrase when. And when you pray. There's an assumption made here that people will pray. Religious, not religious, Jew, Gentile, I think, I could be wrong, I think Jesus is making an assumption that people will pray. I think this is so interesting because that is our culture today, right? So people are comfortable with prayer. So if you're at work and someone comes into your office and says, hey, I got some really bad news, uh, such and such happened. My, my daughter got in a car accident. I'm really worried about her. It's totally appropriate for you to say, in my opinion, maybe I'm wrong, my thoughts and prayers are with you, right? And that person, whether they're religious or not, will probably say thank you. So there's this baseline assumption that prayer is okay. So Jesus is making an assumption that people will pray by using the word when, but he wants to highlight how you should pray. So I know you all are praying, Jesus. I know you all are praying. Let me teach you how you should pray. Therefore, I think we can apply this same format to present day. Does that make sense? Does the cultural, I think it was appropriate then. I think it's appropriate now. I'm going to talk briefly about what he says, um, the things that you're not to do when you pray. I want to talk, I'll just go through them very quickly because I want to get into the actual prayer. So in, in Matthew 5 and 6, Jesus is critical of the religious types, the religious people. Um, they're praying out in public. They're praying a lot. They're, they're um, praying to gain attention. 
So one really important thing to note, because I, I think the question may be in all of our heads, is it a problem to pray in public? Jesus says, if you're going to pray, go into a quiet place, close the door, kind of pray in solitude. No, Jesus is not saying it's incorrect, it's wrong, it's unbiblical to pray in public. He is being critical of the religious leaders praying in public for the sake of gaining attention. How do we know this? Again, look at Jesus' life. And we're going to get to the Lord's Prayer here in a second. Sorry, this is a very long intro. Matthew 14 and 19, Matthew 15, 36. These are stories of the, loaves and the, um, of the fish and the loaves. Jesus duplicates them so the crowd can eat. Jesus prays before breaking bread. He is praying in public. If Jesus prays in public and he is an example for, the, for our Christian life, I think it's okay for us to pray in public. Okay? In Matthew 6, 7, Jesus is critical of babbling or empty phrases. I think is really fascinating about this is he is then going, he's, he's critical of empty phrases, but in a second, he's going to teach people how to pray. So he's saying, hey, don't, don't give, don't, don't present these empty phrases. Instead, in the verses that come, let me show you how to pray. I think this is so helpful for us in our present context again. So how many times have you said a prayer that sounded something like this? Dear Lord, please give us safe travel to Lake, Lake Winnipesaukee. Right? Lord, I'm sitting down to eat dinner with my family. Lord, thank you for this food, for all your blessings. Amen. Now, these are not improper prayers. These are not incorrect. These are not non-biblical or unbiblical. But I think there's some danger here, right? You can just throw these phrases out without even thinking about what you're saying. I think in some ways these are empty phrases, and I think we are all guilty of those. You know, maybe in, in church we pray, we pray as a time of transition, right? As the pastor comes up, let's say a quick prayer. Let's, let's have everyone close their eyes so we can get on the stage quickly, right? That kind of stuff. Those are empty phrases. Jesus is going to teach us how to pray so as to avoid those. All right, let's get to the actual prayer. The three P's, does everyone, anyone remember them? First one is praise. Second one is? And the third one is? Praise, priorities, and petitioning. So uh, one other thing to note, and then I, I promise we'll actually read these verses. The order is incredibly important. First praise, then priorities, and only then petitioning. And when we say petitioning, we are, we are simply saying asking God of something. Okay? All right, let's talk about praise. So now if we want to open your phone or buy, open your phone. That's an interesting phrase. Open your device or your Bible to Matthew 6, and it'll be, we'll start on verse 9. Matthew 6, verse 9. It says, this is how we should pray. How this, I'm sorry, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's pause there. This is the praise section of the Lord's Prayer. A couple things to note here. It starts with our Father. What an intimate word, right? Our Father. When I read this phrase, it, it, it has this effect on me, maybe it has the same on you. I feel simultaneously um, really important and also kind of insignificant. Insignificant in that it's our father. So imagine we're a family of 50 people, 
this mom and dad have 50 kids. This dad is a dad, a father, to 50, 49 other siblings. I'm one of them. That can make it feel a little bit impersonal, right? I'm one of 50. But imagine that dad takes time, takes me, the son, out to lunch, just me and him. How special does that feel, right? So it's this really interesting, it makes me feel really significant, makes me feel kind of unimportant at the same time. I don't think the unimportant thing is a biblical thing, by the way. It's just my feeling when I read this phrase. One other thing to note about this phrase, our father, um, I think people often say that uh, Islam and Christianity worship the same God. If this is true, if we are to pray to God as our father, that is completely nonsensical. In, in Islam, they, according to their tradition, there are 99 words or names to describe God. Things like the most merciful, the, the creator, the majestic. There's 96 other of these names. None of them are personal. They're all attributes of God. They're all things that he is doing, God or Allah. They're all things that he's doing. There is no relationship between God and a Muslim. There is actually a bit of space, of distance there. All this to say, you cannot say it's the same God. They're being described differently by each tradition. Just an interesting point. The second thing I think this phrase, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, communicates, is that God is both our dad, but he's also the creator of everything. He is the author and creator of all life. Um, I have a a picture to help um, hopefully explain this next point. I've never been to the Grand Canyon. My brother lives in Arizona now, and he has told me that you can't go to the edge of the Grand Canyon and not be in awe. Totally and utterly in awe. It's massive, and the colors, and it's just incredible. When we pray, our prayer should have a similar feel. So we come to the edge, and we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are praying to God. We are praying, we are communicating, we are speaking directly to the author and creator of all life. We are speaking to, you know, the dad of not 50 kids, but however many million and billion people. But he's taking the time to focus on us. Doesn't that, isn't that incredible? When you pray, it should be pray, praiseful. It should be full of praise. This is the Grand Canyon effect. Okay? All right, so how does this practically impact how we pray? So I told you I was going to give you a, a bullet point. So this is praise. Let me give you some, some practicals. What does this mean for how we actually pray? Number one, let me tell you a quick story. Um, when I was in college, my basketball team, sorry, I keep talking about sports. I think I have one more sports metaphor and then I'm done. So at the end, I'll talk about sports one more time. But so I was, my basketball team was traveling to Taiwan on a missions trip. And um, there was a guy by the name of Bud Schaefer who worked with the missions organization that we were traveling with. Bud, Bud was an amazing man. He was in his late 60s, early 70s, definitely early 70s. Every morning, we would have a team meeting at about 7 or 7.30 a.m. So I did a little bit of context. We, would travel, we traveled around the island of Taiwan, where, uh, and the games were like six or seven hours apart sometimes. So we'd play a game at 8 o'clock, get on a bus, run a camp the next day at noon. It was exhausting. 
every team meeting at 7 a.m., Bud would burst through the doors singing the song, this is the day, this is the day. And he'd do this arm swing too. He'd actually do this. And he would sing the song, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Bud, when, uh, this was every day. This was every day that Bud was alive. So he couldn't help but praise God. It was just a natural um, outpouring of who he was, of his character. Prayer, when appropriate, or prayer, when done appropriately, has the same effect. Okay, secondly, let me give you another practical. When you pray, um, think about how you're addressing God. Are you saying God? The first word you say, God, Jesus, Lord, King, Savior. Or maybe um, when Brian prays up front, sometimes he says, Daddy. Think about what God is inviting us to do. And think about how significant that word is. If you say king, Lord and king, what are you saying? What are you communicating? Here's a practical takeaway. When you are about to address God, I challenge you to say the name and then pause. So if you say father, say father and stop. Wait a couple seconds. Meditate on how significant that phrase is. If you're saying Lord, Stop. What does it mean when I say Lord? Names are really important, right? Also, when we're talking about praise, the name we choose is really important. So um, Sarah and I are in the middle of watching the final season of Downton Abbey. We have four more episodes to go, so please don't spoil it for us. But we were watching an episode last night, and it was fascinating to me how, how careful people are with their language. So the butler, when talking to Lord Grantham, is that right, Lord Grantham? He always says Lord Grantham. It's never, what's his first name? What's the actual first name? What is it? Robert. Robert. He would, the butler would never say Robert. It's always Lord Grantham because that is an appropriate way by which to address Lord Grantham. In the same way, be very careful with how you're addressing God. It's significant. There's power in that. There's an opportunity to praise him in that. Okay, let's keep going. We had praise, now let's do priorities. So for priorities, we'll focus on verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This phrase is fascinating. So this idea of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is a phrase that would be very familiar to the Jewish Jewish audience. They had an assumption that the kingdom would be something that God would establish on the earth in their lifetime. So they expected God to place a ruler on the throne, and they would no longer be a conquered people. In some ways, this was militaristic. It was a militaristic hope. But the idea is that they would be the rulers, that the, the, the Israelites would be back in power, that the Romans, that any other conquering people would have to answer to them. That's the kingdom of God. Jesus comes... And if you recall from earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't necessarily agree with that vision. His establishment of the kingdom is very different. So you have things like, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those that are persecuted persecuted for righteousness sake, etc. So the thing I want to note here is at times, our view of the kingdom is not Jesus's. So when we pray... We take 
a posture of humility to say, Lord, please establish the kingdom as you see fit, not as I see fit. Because whether we realize it or not, those things can be very, very different. So I praise him because of who he is and what he's done. And I say, Lord, you do what you want to do. I'm going to ask you for something. I'm going to petition for something in a second. But before I even do that, God, establish your kingdom in the way that you see fit. Please, we're begging you to establish your kingdom. We look at Matthew 6.33. So this is an example of another verse in Scripture that sort of highlights a similar kind of rhythm. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So again, establish the kingdom first. God, whatever you want to do, please do it. And by the way, I think that's good for us if the kingdom is established in the way that Jesus sees fit. Okay, I'm going to skip down a little bit through my notes here for the sake of time. Um, Let's talk about what this practically means. So what does God, you establishing your kingdom, what does this practically mean? When we think about it, we have a really good example for how to pray. So Jesus, before he was about to be crucified, before he was going to be hung on a cross, he prays this prayer from Matthew 26, 39. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. What an incredible example. So God knows, Jesus knows he's about to be crucified. Yet his prayer is still, your will, not mine. What an amazing example of of the prayer for God to establish his kingdom. Okay, maybe because it's Jesus, that feels a little unattainable, right? Maybe that feels like, well, sure, he's the son of God. He can do that. That's not a big deal. By the way, I believe that Jesus was fully human, so I think this is a big deal. But I understand if in your head you're saying, well, if Jesus, sure, Jesus can do that, but I'm just, I'm just Keith. I can't, I could never pray that prayer. I could never have that outlook on life. That's, that's, that's too lofty. Let me give you another example. So my dad, when he was diagnosed with cancer, I mentioned earlier, oftentimes, my dad was a pastor, by the way, so people had a really hard time sort of merging this religious leader in the community, well-liked, well-loved, God gives him cancer, Right? God made my dad sick with cancer. I'm not pretending to unpack the theological implications of that statement. I'm just merely saying this is what people had a hard time wrestling with, myself included. So people would ask my dad the question, don't you ever ask, why me? Why you? My my dad's response was fascinating to me, and I only really appreciated it as I've gotten a little bit older in life. My dad always said, why not me? Right? Why, why, why am I any better than anyone else? Why not me? When we start talking about the kingdom, things get really complicated, right? So we don't understand why, how the shooting in Dallas, in Orlando, car bombing in Iraq, we don't understand how that fits into the kingdom, right? We have, it, it doesn't make any sense. In our, in our finite minds, that makes no sense. Yet our prayer is still that God would establish his kingdom. I can promise you that car bombings in Iraq are not part of God's vision of the kingdom. I promise you that. Our prayer then 
is for God's kingdom be established, right? So going back to my dad and how we don't understand all of how this works, but let me give you the practical of how my dad, my dad would, would pray and how my dad would envision the kingdom being established. So when he was sick, he had chemotherapy, he had radiation, he had treatments. He would pray with every nurse and surgeon and doctor that would meet with him. And his approach was fascinating. He would say, Dr. Richards, can't remember what his doctor's name was, but Dr. Richards, um, I'm about to die. And I have something really important I need to tell you before I do. Can I pray with you? Can I share the gospel with you? There was one nurse, so my dad was doing chemotherapy. Um, for those of you that, that know this, when you're, when you're receiving chemo, you sort of sit on a chair, um, and you kind of just sit there. And sometimes it's hours. You just sort of sit there. So when my dad was getting chemo, there had to be nurses around. There was one nurse in particular that spent a lot of time with my dad. So he would say to her, I understand you can't go anywhere. I understand it's your job that you have to stay here, but I'm about to die. And if you can't go anywhere, I'm going to tell you the most important thing, tell you about the most important thing in my life. This woman later became a Christian, and it was directly because of my dad's witness. I know this because her, um, one of my closest friends, um, this was his aunt. So I walked into my friend's house. I introduced myself as Keith Crass, and she's like, as in the son of Kevin Crass? Yeah. I became a Christian because of your dad. I don't understand how the kingdom works. I don't get it. I don't get why my dad couldn't just talk to her and then live. But this is the vision. This is the prayer. The why not me is this, Lord, establish the kingdom as you see fit. Okay. First, we praise him. Second, priorities. We ask him to establish the kingdom as he sees fit. Third, and lastly, we petition. So now we, we get to actually asking him for something. So for petition, we will look at uh, Matthew 6, verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's some debate as to whether this, this idea of give us our daily bread is actually a physical need or some moniker for salvation. I don't think it matters, actually. In the context of, the, in the context of this formula for how we are to pray, it is simply saying, God, I need you to give this to me because I can't do it on my own. Salvation we can't do on our own, right? That's a pretty fundamental truth about, about, um, about Christianity. But also, things like daily bread, food. I mean, do we really think for, for one second that we're able to provide for our families, that we're able to eat, that we're able to do all these things because of hard work that we've done? I mean, how arrogant is that? We could lose our job at any moment. We could walk out of this building and... and experience some accident where we're not able to work, the fact that we continue to walk and go to work every morning, earn a paycheck, that's all by the grace of God, right? So when we petition, we say, God, give us these things. Thank you for already giving them to us, but give us these things because we can't do it on our own. Okay, we're nearing the end here. The last part of the Lord's Prayer uh, is actually a pretty scary request. And here comes my last sports analogy. So, in verse 13, 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. No, I'm sorry. Let me back up a little bit. Uh, 12 and then 13. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And then we'll talk about verse 13. So verse 12 again. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So Jesus pulls this kind of rope-a-dope. It's kind of this switcheroo. So rope-a-dope is when you trick your opponent into thinking you're trying to do one thing, when in reality you're doing something very different. I don't think Jesus was trying to trick his audience, but it's really interesting how he phrases this. And forgive us our debts, God forgive us for the things we've done, as we also have forgiven our debtors. God forgive us, but we are also committing to forgiving others in the same way that you have forgiven us. Think of the way that God and Jesus have forgiven our sins. It's, it's total. It's complete. It's 100%. We are, white, we are washed white as snow. And we're saying, God, in the same way that you've forgiven us, we are committing to forgiving others in the same way. That's huge. That's scary. <laughs> so if you're going to pray this prayer, be prepared for that. Be prepared to forgive people even if they don't deserve it. Okay, last couple of verses here. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This very basically is us saying, God, we need help. Life is really hard. It's really complex. We need help. So there's a scholar by the last name of Dunn. He calls this a prayer of conscious and confessed human weakness. It makes no pretense of confidence in our own strength and commitment. Rather, it expresses an unconditional abandonment to the will of God. Okay, let me restate that, put it a little more simply. This prayer is an acknowledgement that life is really, 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 really hard. Because of this, God invites us, actually he instructs us. Isn't that interesting? God instructs us to ask for help. This is Jesus teaching us how to pray. He's saying, pray this way. God instructs us to ask that our basic and fundamental needs are met, and he offers his help in resisting temptation. Okay, a couple more points here before we respond. What does this mean practically? So we talked about practicals for praise, talked about practicals for our priorities. Let's talk about practicals and petitioning. When we get to the point where we are now ready to ask God for something, if we followed this formula correctly, we have first praised him, And then we have correctly, appropriately established priorities. God, your will, not my own. And now we ask him for something. Think about how different that request is of him. Think about how different the things that you would present before him will be if you've already praised him for who he is and what he's done. If you've already said, God, please establish your will. And now finally, I'm ready to ask you for something. I would be willing to bet that thing you're asking for probably looks slightly different. Or at least your view of that thing is slightly different. Okay. We'll end here. And as I conclude, if the band wants to make make their way back up. To summarize, Jesus is providing us in the Lord's Prayer with an outline, a formula, a template, a way to pray. The three things are praise comes first, priorities come second, and then petitioning comes third.
In a moment, we're going to read the Lord's Prayer together. Because as much as I love the movie Friday Night Lights, I feel like we should probably read it together. But for our response time, I'm going to invite you to do one of a number of things. The first is, stand and praise God. Sing. But know that you're singing to God. You're praising God. It's a big deal. The second thing I'd invite you to do is think about something you haven't known how to pray about. Something in your own life that has stumped you, that is complicated. You're angry with God about. Take out a piece of paper or maybe your phone and write praise, priorities, and petition. And then try to slide that issue into this formula. Just see what happens. The third thing, maybe do this on a piece of paper as well. How do you pray for our country in the midst of what's happened this week using that as your formula? I don't know the answer to that. How do you, what does that look like, though? And then the fourth option is I think there'll probably be the prayer team. I think will be up front. So if you want prayer, if all this talk about prayer is desiring, it's, it's spurring up in you this need, this want for someone to pray over you, there'll be people up here um, that can pray with you. Okay. Before we sing, before we do those things, I think we should read the Lord's Prayer together. Anita, is it possible to pull it up on the screen? Of course it is. What a silly question. With Anita, all things are possible. Okay. I want it on the screen just so we read the same version. Um, if, if you're able to stand, could we, could we stand and read this together? And then as, as soon as we're done, I'll make my way off, and, and Jenna, we can, start, we can start playing and singing. Okay. Pray then like this. 